Okay, so we're going to start this off very relaxed first. So, Darren, maybe you, on behalf of your wife and family, could you tell everybody who you are, your names, and what children you have, and what it is you sort of do to start us off? Right. Okay. Will do. Yeah, I'm Darren Mulligan from Ballinode. This is my wife, Heidi. We have four children. I'm not sure what ages they are, but they started five and they ended 14. And <laughs> so we, we have been married for how long, Heidi? See, she doesn't know. That's embarrassing. That? Too long. 16 years. We've been married for 16 years. I met Heidi in 1999 in Galway on the street. And we fell in love and we've been together ever since. And it's been a, a wonderful journey. Lovely. It is, it's always a bad idea to ask the men, isn't it? With the children and the marriage and the dates and all. I never thought of that, Darren, I would have asked Heidi. So <laughs> please accept my apologies for that. So listen, tell us a wee bit about your life. Before we get really into the faith stuff, what was your life like growing up? And, and tell us a wee bit about that. You want me to go first? Okay. <laughs> Didn't they get be as nervous in front of all my friends here? But anyway... <laughs> It's different when you're leading worship than when you're sitting being questioned. My life growing up. So I grew up, you can tell I don't have an Irish accent. I'm from Scotland originally. And so I grew up in Scotland, three siblings, myself, a brother and a sister. And I grew up in a home that probably would have looked pretty normal from the outside in, but from the inside was very different. So... We didn't really go to church. I didn't grow up in a home that was faith-based. Now, my dad would have professed as a Catholic. My mom would have professed as a Protestant. But church was really just Easter Sunday, Christmas Day at the most. And so I would have had a fairly fairly good childhood, probably until I was about the age of 10. Like, loved my daddy more than anything in the world. Like, without sounding weird, he was the man that I wanted to grow up and marry when I was older, when I was, like, eight. <laughs> and maybe younger than that. But, <laughs> and, but as things got, as I got a little bit older, so we lived in Glasgow. I'm sorry, I feel like I'm waffling. We lived in Glasgow. My dad had a couple of restaurants, and he lost his businesses, and he started to drink more and more. And alcoholism became really the biggest part of our childhood. It was the thing that cl uh, clouded over everything else. We all tried to function as a family, but sadly, alcohol has this way of just making everything a little bit tainted and sad. And so that was that was the predominant part of my childhood. Now, I was very, very dedicated and hardworking. I wanted to achieve the best at school. And so worked really, really hard. And there was probably a lot of pressure also on perfectionism um, from my family that came with that as well. I forgot what the question was. What was the question? <laughs> you Growing up, yeah. Just what your childhood was like. Yeah. So I had lots of happy childhood memories. Like we played loads. Like <laughs> we were we were players. But it, like I said, the, the biggest part for me was that tainted part of it that was, was just sad because of alcohol. Of course. Yeah. So. If I'm right, you came to faith first and then Darren came running after you. I did. So we'll put it that way. What was the circumstances, say, that, that, spend a wee bit of time on this if you can. What was the circumstances that really led you in them last few years to, to find yourself crying out to God for salvation? What, what, was, what led to that? Yeah. So I suppose I left home when I was 17 and haven't lived at home since then. When I was 17, I moved off to university. And I wasn't long at university before I felt I found out that that was really not a place that was good for me. For me, university surrounded was surrounded by alcohol, and alcohol was the thing in life that scared me the most. 
and alcohol just yeah just the consequences of alcohol so it was around that time in my life that I was just I started to feel really low and depressed really isolated believe it or not really missed the the chaoticness of my home like you think that you come from a broken a sad home that maybe when you leave the things are going to be different but I really missed home and it was around that time that I started um, to developing eating disorder so I guess that was when I was 17, 18 and really from then until I was 26, 26 to 27 I battled strongly with anorexia, with depression and so 17, 18, I did two years at university and after that I moved over. I had met Darren when I was 17 on the streets of Galway. <laughs> I went over because I was on the rebound from another relationship and I met him on the street. <laughs> he had long hair and he was wearing corduroy um, trousers and a brown cardigan. I thought that looks like the kind of man that I could go for. You <laughs> <laughs> can see why it went for. <laughs> So we met, then we were doing this long distance relationship thing for many years. I was living in Scotland still, he was living in Ireland and we were traveling back and forward. And after about two years, three years maybe, I don't know, I decided that I wanted to move to Ireland to be with him. And like, I'm not going to say our relationship was anywhere near perfect because it wasn't there. He was, I was in love with Darren I feel like we fell in love the first time we met each other, whether you believe in that or not. But our relationship was very volatile. Like, we fought a lot. There was a lot of highs and lows. There was a lot of fighting and arguing. And when I moved to Ireland, I thought that things were going to get better in terms of how I was struggling with my eating disorder and depression. But really, it just got worse. And so... We were, let me think, this is, I feel like it's a lot to fit in a small space. We, yeah, I suppose that the lowest point, I had gone to Darren and I actually said to him one night that I was, I was so low that I had actually threatened taking my own life. And Darren did what Darren does best, which is try to fix it instantaneously. He's like, okay, let's fix this problem now. <laughs> so he, I'm pretty sure he walked me to a psychiatric hospital, which sounds a little bit scary. <laughs> but from that, it led to me getting some support. He didn't check me into a psychiatric hospital, but <laughs> but he he did help me try to get some help and support. I ended up in an inpatient program for a short while with people with eating disorders and um, I was going for regular appointments with psychotherapists and analysts. And really at the core of it, I was just completely lost. Like I just had this total lostness that I knew nothing could fill, like a real helplessness. And I say this, I've said this for many years, and I, I remember so clearly a therapist telling me, you have to fill your life with slots, you know, do a slot of a sport, do a slot of this activity, something creative. And I thought, really, is that all there is to life? Just filling it with slots. and in the middle of it all, Darren then decided, I feel like I'm telling all your story as well, but you're going to get a chance to tell his too, right? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> In the middle of it all, then Darren, who had been playing music from when I first met him, had said he was going to go over to America with a screamo brand. <laughs> and, uh, sorry, what was that? A, a screamo band. <laughs> yeah. Screamo? Screamo. Yeah. No one knows what screamo is. Something like yeah, he was in the kind of band where he sc he screamed and threw guitars off the stage. Yeah, that kind of band. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so I 
Sorry? It is corduroy trousers and it's long greasy hair. Everybody's got a picture of it now. <laughs> and uh, so he was going off and like I was at a, a low, low point in my life at that stage and I was just really angry. I was like, really? Like I've given up university, three years of university, I've moved over here and, you know, I've been in an inpatient program in hospital and now you're just getting up and leaving me for music. So he left me and now in hindsight, I know absolutely that Darren had to go for me to come to God because I was so dependent on my relationship with him. You know, he was like, he was my savior. You know, he was the person that was fixing me. And so I was working in a call center in Dublin at the time, still battling with my eating disorder, really living this life of like, I, I don't know, I had this thing growing up and I, well, I probably do know where it stands from, but I was very needy of male affection. I needed to be wanted. I needed to be loved. And so I was probably leading boys on far more than I should have done. And then I was in my office one day and a girl came to me and she started to talk. Actually, before that happened, a girl I was working with in my, her office, she she just she would talk to me all the time about about Jesus. Have I gone into the next question? No, go on. No, keep, keep going. Keep okay. going. <laughs> Did you good? How are you coming to first? Maybe just talking about the Daniela's and then. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we'll just have a wee domestic up here. <laughs> Bye. Planning it on down there too. Bye. <laughs> yeah, so I was working in this call center and this girl, um, she was always talking to me about this church she was going to. And I suppose one day I just was like, okay, well, I'm going to ask her, what's this church you're always talking about? So I thought, okay, so I asked her and I tell you, I gave her her in that day and she was not going to stop once I gave her her in <laughs> to start telling me about Jesus. And so she started to tell me, she took a very hard line approach with me. She said, you know, also with a husband called Dave came to me and she invited me to come to church with her. And I have no idea why I said, yes, I would go to church with her. You know, I, it was a Thanksgiving dinner. It wasn't like, I don't know, I didn't know her that well at all. She actually didn't even work in the same office as me. But I was talking about that today with somebody and we were just saying like, how God puts you in a workspace and you know she obviously was just using that mundane job that she was doing answering calls all day but she was using it for God you know and without her telling me that day about Jesus who knows where I would have been today where Darren would have been today and so she invited me to her church with her to this Thanksgiving dinner people were giving thanks for things God had done in their life and I couldn't reconcile with the idea of being a sinner but what I could get on board with was the joy that people had in their lives. I saw something different and I was like, I kind of want a bit of that in my life as well. So am I still on the question? You're, you're on roll, yeah. I'm still on the question. Head, no, you're heading words how you come to faith. Yes. That's all part of it. So okay. bye, don't panic. Uh, <laughs> you can drop a question. Don't worry about that. That's okay. <laughs> Just tell me when I start rambling. So yeah, so that was the first night I had been to church with her. In the meanwhile, this other Daniela was still talking to me about Jesus. And... <clears throat> I had all the questions, you know, about the, what about the dinosaurs and all those kind of things, you know. And she would tell me, like, you don't have to have it all. You don't need to understand it all. You just need to come with faith. And then God will make sense of it later on. And so my biggest struggle, as I said, was I, I just, she kept telling me that you're a sinner and we're all sinners. You know, the Bible tells us we've all fallen short of God's glory, of God's standard, and that each one of us is sinners. And I was like, yeah, I shared that in my short testimony. For me, the sinners were the people, you know, they drank all the time, the people that were sleeping around, the people that were swearing. Yeah. And I just didn't see myself as that girl. I thought I was a 
pretty good living girl. You know, yeah, I was destructive towards my body. Yes, I was angry. Yes, I was leading other boys on. I was being unfaithful, you know, but I didn't see those as the big sins. And so she started to invite me to church. I started to go and hear. And it was Easter Sunday, 2006, that I, I guess, heard the gospel with fresh ears that morning. And the pastor made an appeal. And I knew that morning, like it was like anybody who wants to come front to the oratory. And I was like first one up the front with tears rolling down my eyes. Like I knew that it was me that I needed. I needed saving. And like, praise God, God did like after that moment, like, you know, I started off then I was like, I knew I was a sinner. And then I was like, oh, I really know I'm a sinner. <laughs> and then the sin started getting like, oh, now I've got this to, this sin to deal with and this sin. Yeah. 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 So you've come to faith and God's starting to work on your life. Where are you at the stage now? <laughs> I was, I was in a park in Texas, uh, <laughs> drunk off my face. And Heidi called me the day she came to know God. And uh, I was just so angry. And I'm not going to take too long, but I, I do want to say, like, if you've come in and you're listening to all these kind of Christian-y type things we're saying, like, the gospel is really not complicated. Jesus died on a cross and rose on the third day because he is madly in love with you and wants a relationship with you. And so I grew up in the most wonderful home. I love my family, my mom and dad, my sister, my brother are here, my, you know, my nephews here. And I grew up in the most wonderful home and I was taught right from wrong. I was taught how to respect, how to be kind, how to be good, how to be decent. And that couldn't keep me. Because at the end of the day, a man's going to do what's in him and a woman's going to do what's in her. And so when I became a teenager, my sin caught up with me. Do you know, you can try and be good all you want, but being good isn't going to get you to Jesus. Jesus has come for you. He's made a way. And so in the middle of my sin, when Heidi and I were dating, I was in America at that time. I was, I was a really unfaithful man. I was highly promiscuous. I was blasphemous. I was violent. I, was, I wasn't an alcoholic, but I loved drinking to sin. My life was a mess. And this girl was the best thing I had ever had in my life. But at that point in my life, I didn't know how to love anybody. And at the core of why I ended up, do you know, you'll get people up here talking about how terrible their lives were and how awful it was. The danger is that you start to think, oh, I'm not as bad as they were. I don't need Jesus. And the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But coming to Jesus is as simple as saying, God, I am sorry for the things I have done. Confess with your mouth, believe that Jesus is Lord, and you shall be saved. And that word be saved just means you shall have a restored relationship with God, and he will be yours and you will be his. And so Heidi had found that. And when she called me, I was so angry because she sounded happy. And she was the only person in my life that I thought was as miserable as I was. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so from there... I, I had went home eventually to Ireland and Heidi was there and I remember asking her to marry me and she said yes and I was amazed because I had nothing going for me. Like that long hair was receding. <laughs> I weighed about nine stone, you know. There wasn't much going on for me and she's this, Heidi, Heidi's very self-deprecating and she's very, very humble and very kind and tender. 
but she's one of the strongest, most courageous women I've ever met in my life. And so she was following God. I was an atheist. I didn't believe it. I thought it was all fairy tales. I really did. I thought Jesus was a giant load of nonsense that people made up to feel better about themselves. And there's a wee, many of you in here know, there's a wee church building down the road there. It was the old Elam church. And me and Heidi started going there. People seemed really joyful. You know, they were up here dancing around in the stage and they were singing these songs. And I remember thinking, oh, this Christian thing isn't what I thought it was. I thought it was a bunch of rules and regulations. Keep being good, keep being good, keep being good. The gospel of Jesus is not about being good. It's about being in love with the only one who is good and his name is Jesus. And these people had found him and I hadn't. And a, a few weeks, I don't know, probably a few weeks, a couple of months before we got married, two months, two months, right, two months before we got married, I went to that wee church with Heidi and the pastor was preaching the same gospel message he had preached every night for months. And it was wrecking my head at this point because I'm like, can you change the record? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was the same thing. God loves you. You're a sinner. Repent, believe. And I hadn't believed it, not one time. But this one night he said it again. He said, does anyone want to come to Jesus? And I thought my heart was going to explode. Like I was shaking. And uh, in that moment, God seemed very real to me. But it wasn't the God that I, the version of God that I'd seen in Heidi, this joyful, hopeful thing. I realized that everything I had done in those pre preceding few years, I was a dead man walking because I knew that God was real. And I knew my sin, there would be a price to pay for it unless someone could take it for me. And in that moment, I believed that Jesus could take my sin, just like the word said. And so I came to Jesus that night. But I'll be honest, and there's many people here that knew the night I came to Jesus. They were all like so excited and like celebrating. I wasn't. Because I came to Jesus not out of love, I came out of fear. And it was a year after we got married, Heidi and I, and I'd been reading the Bible every day. I'd been listening to all these verses about the grace and forgiveness and mercy of God, but I couldn't feel it. I was still this terrified wee man who was convinced that if I could just be good enough, Jesus might love me. And nothing changed, really. And then one night, I was praying, some boys up in Donegal, and I heard very clearly God tell me, go home and tell your wife everything you've ever done. And I was like, that's a real bad idea, Jesus. <laughs> and so I went home and I told her 50% of everything I had ever done. And I waited for Heidi to push me away and to reject me and give me what I deserve. Because what I deserved was to be abandoned. <laughs> but she put her arms around me and she kissed me. And she said, I love you and I forgive you. And I came to Jesus because I was afraid. But it was when I saw the love and kindness and forgiveness of someone transformed by the good news of the gospel actually practically applying itself to my life that I realized that God could forgive a sinner like me. And so I'm not sitting up here today like some wretched sinner, you know, just scraping his way into heaven. I'm a messy man. I mess this thing up every day, but the mercy of God is new every single morning. And anybody can come 
Anybody can come to Jesus. He did it for Heidi. He did it for me. He can do it for you. The gospel is good news, no matter what you have ever heard from anyone else. Amen. 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 So, isn't that wonderful? It's yeah. <laughs> the gospel in a nutshell. That relationship, what, what, how you acted, it's, uh, it's amazing. I think it's over to you now, is it? Long? Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Heidi, I'm going to just ask you another little question. So, you talked about the joy and the hope. <clears throat> that was everyone's. But you also said that you didn't need to understand it all. Yeah. Um, and that you just followed Jesus. And, but then there was this realization <laughs> of the things that you needed to change and the things that you needed to do. And um, how, can you tell me, how has Jesus changed your life? Like you have, you've alluded a little bit to it, but just that, that journey from when you gave him your yes and started that journey of realizing what life could be like with him. Yeah. It's still on, is it? So. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's on there. I suppose I'll start by saying that it is definitely an unfinished work. <laughs> it's very much a work in progress still. But yeah, God has absolutely radically transformed my life. From that day that I gave my life to Christ, like it was only within a matter of weeks after that. And I just, I mean, there's so many bits I could touch on right now, but like I remember going to that church. It was church in Dublin and... I don't know. I just, I even remember just, you know, I was in this relationship with Darren and, you know, I, I didn't know what I was going to do because I was like, now I'm a Christian, but the man that I love is not a Christian any longer, you know, or is not a Christian full stop. And I'm like, that, that puts a massive roadblock in our relationship now, you know. And I just, I remember talking to this girl and she was saying, I don't, you know, you don't need to worry about it. Like, God's going to save him. And God's going to use them. And someday he's going to write music for the Lord. And I thought, he's going to write music for the Lord. That's really random. But anyway, we'll go with that. <laughs> but anyway, and so, yeah, I suppose around that period, then I I was still going for therapy. And I just made a decision one day. I was like, you know what? Some friends had invited me for dinner that night. And I just made a conscious decision that night. I thought, I can choose to go for dinner or I can choose to go for therapy. And that night I just thought you know what I'm gonna go for dinner instead and I believe that that was me just putting a stake in the ground that day and saying I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let God you know be robbed any longer I'm not going to let this rule my life any longer and God entirely healed me of my eating disorder you know I can stand and I say that now I'm not gonna say there are not times in my life that there's things that I, I just use wisdom you know I don't own wing skills in my house because I don't want that ever to become a temptation in my life again. You know, I think God releases us from our sins, but we still need to use wisdom in those things, you know. So God healed me of that. And I just like Darren said, there was this big divide between us. And I remember we went to this gospel concert. It was the Dublin Gospel Choir. I don't know if you remember that. We went one night and there were just all these gospel songs and I came out of it and I was literally dancing in the streets afterwards. I was so excited about it, like just about gospel music and worship music. And Darren was looking at me like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I just had this real newfound, just joy, like hope, purpose, like a reason, a reason just to keep going on. Like I lived my entire life growing up in the fear of my dad's death. Like that was my big fear all through my life. I was like, what can I do? so that my dad doesn't die of alcohol, you know? And like I would say, even growing up, I probably had some kind of relationship with God, but that was the relationship with God. It was like an OCD thing that if I pray to God, God will keep my dad alive. 
And so I, I just, I didn't think I would ever be able to cope with it. And he did, my dad did pass away just six weeks before our wedding day. And I don't know if I didn't have God in my life at that stage, whether I would have coped with it, but I did. Like God just carried me through that whole season, carried us through that season. And we went through ahead with our wedding. And then obviously Darren, like that was the the big thing that I had prayed for. Like when I said yes to marrying him, I knew in my heart of hearts that I could not marry him unless he gave his life to Christ before our wedding day. But I was holding on to that, like, and believing that, that God was going to save him. And so the night that he gave his life to Christ, I just couldn't believe it. Like, I couldn't believe that God God had done that for me. And there's just so many, like, you know, I messed with my body for so many years with an eating disorder that I had been told, maybe you're never going to be able to have children, you know. And that was my one dream, like, growing up. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, like, career guidance. I was like, I have no idea what I want to be when I grow up, but I know I want to be a mommy, you know, and then obviously God like gave us these four incredible children that we that we get to. Oh, she's, look, she's looking at me. <laughs> she's like, "Don't embarrass me, mommy." <laughs> and now I've really embarrassed her. <laughs> I don't know what else do I need to say there. <laughs> uh, yeah, wonderful. You've given us snippets and um, and in your daily life and as you go on and as you that strength and even what Darren said that the father heart and the the love and the compassion and the strength and the courage that you have is definitely something that that we see and as you be mummy and as you support your husband and as you do the things that God has placed on your life we get to see those characteristics coming through as well and if you cast back and think to the to the girl that you were and the woman that God has transformed you into. It's just amazing and it's still going and exciting to see what what is going to happen with that. Darren Heidi alluded to to some of the things even within the music, the um the friend saying about writing music and kind of the very different reaction to the gospel choir <laughs> that that happened. So do you want to tell us just even a little bit about what God is using you to do now and kind of why you got there? Yeah, not really. No. I love this wee church. I love this community. I love the people here. And we're honored to be a part of it. And I have been I have been absolutely blessed to travel the world night after night and play music for thousands of people. And those are great. That's really cool. <laughs> and it is really it's an I'm not belittling what God has done because it's it's cost me and Heidi so so much. And those are extraordinary things in many ways. But as I get older, the reason we moved home recently and I travel back and forth to America across the world is that I have realized that it is family and community and simplicity that matters the most. And in our lives we often look at people doing, I guess what people would look at and go, well, that's a big thing. You know, there's been nights where we've played to 50, 100,000 people, which is really strange to say, because there are much more talented people and better equipped people than, than me to do it. But God asked us to do it. We said yes. And Heidi has said yes, even when it's hurt. Right. But those might be cool things. But the extraordinary things are the simple things. Do you know, like see having my mommy and daddy down there. You can't buy that with silver or gold, like my sister D, you know, and my, my brother Mark. God has done a work in our family 
that I look at and I go, that far supersedes any concert I've ever played. I could play a concert on Mars to a million people and it wouldn't be anywhere near as impressive as having three generations of mulligans all walking with Jesus, sitting around a table praying. Do you know? So I would encourage you that in, sometimes in life, people are always saying, you know, do more, be more, get more, do whatever. None of the success that our wee band has ever had has ever helped me sleep at night. I got the love of a good woman. I've got an amazing family. I've got a wonderful God. And you see, if I lost all of the career in the morning, and I mean this sincerely, I have everything I need. Do you know? And I know I'll sing a couple of songs after, but I will say this. Long before I ever had a career doing music, I was sitting in the wee sunroom in the house outside Smurthburg with a wee acoustic guitar telling Jesus how much I loved him. And at my worst, I can be a, a grumbling, moody kind of man, right? But at, my, but at my best, and it still happens, I'm a man with a wee acoustic guitar sitting out in the house telling Jesus how much I love him. And that's what I want my kids to remember me. Not, not for the man that was on stages all across the world, but he was a decent dad. He was a decent husband. He did the best he could. Because when I look at my man, da, they're my heroes. Do you know? Ordinary people live in extraordinary lives in their home community. That's what changes the world. And so I hope that answered. I was, and I'm not being facetious. We've done all right. It's been grand, right? <laughs> In kind of saying, well, listen to it. <laughs> you went from screaming for Satan to... That, that's rough music. That, I wasn't screaming for Satan. That sounds pretty like Satan to me. <laughs> but you're singing for Jesus now, brother. Uh, try it. And he's being very humble about it. I'm not really into music now, so I, I couldn't give a good testament to We Are Messengers. But my, my son is Joel, and I, I often think that me and Joel and Darren go for many journeys. Because every time I do the road, Darren's singing in the background. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Thank you. But, uh, but it's great. But every one time I did, I, I went on to look to see, and I, and I seen some interviews you did with some of the networks and news networks and various things. And what was profound to me was, well, I don't know what other way to put it, how the Lord has really used you as a, as a beacon in America. Because I've seen how you spoke about God and how you spoke about what God can do, and you, and you weren't afraid to speak about sin and the gospel and all that messy stuff that I guess a lot of American Christianity can, can talk in and around about. And I think that what I could see with those who were speaking to you, they were they actually enjoyed listening to you because you were so honest and you were so raw, but you were told so much truth. And I just think it's amazing. And if anybody hasn't heard of We Are Messengers, I want to encourage you to go on. Just as you see some of the places where God has set this man, and the opportunities that God has given him. And I'll say this to you, you're not afraid to take them. You're not afraid to tell people that they need to be saved and that there is a hell and there is, you know, and I want to just commend you on that. So, well, listen, we're, we're, our time's fairly come. Uh, and a wee minute, Darren's going to sing a couple of songs. And at the end of that, I'm going to give an opportunity for you tonight. If you're not saved tonight, to, 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 to come to, to, to Jesus tonight for yourself. There's one thing that the Bible speaks about. And if you're not saved tonight, you're not going to have this. And it's a peace. It's a peace of soul. And I want you in these closing moments just to consider your life. And you might have a lot of good things or you might not have a lot of good things in your life. It doesn't go by what we have. It doesn't go by the properties we have or the money we have in the bank. Your soul is the most precious thing that you have. And in fact, it's the only thing that you really truly own. And it's the only thing that you can truly lose. And all I remember is before I come to faith, I had no peace in soul in my soul. And I tried everything and anything. This man tried everything and anything. Heidi tried everything and anything to try and satisfy that longing. 
And perhaps you're sitting here tonight, and you don't maybe understand everything, but you know this, you've no peace of soul. You've no peace, and you've no assurance. And you can have a peace tonight, and you can have an assurance. And after our brother sings a few songs, I'm going to give an opportunity for you to respond, and I want to pray for you, and we can help you come to know Jesus for yourself. Amen. So listen, Darren, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to... Uh-huh. Get out of the road, or you sit, no, no. you doing a jumping about thing, or are you? <laughs> no, but I tell you what I would like. Uh, yeah. Just how do you anything else to say? Last words, because so often in my life, and I'm shouting, so often in our life, Heidi's in the background, I'm at the foreground. Okay, and I would say that my story and much of the Mulligan story has revolved around Heidi being faithful to the simple promptings of God. Mm. You talked this morning about wisdom and men, mm. and I think that Heidi carries an incredible amount of wisdom. So, is that else you want to say, Chicks? And if not, it's <laughs> cool. I'm going to say, wait, it's oh, Hello. Don't know. Can you hear me without it? No. Yeah. Come on. Yes. Did you Get up. Hi. Oh, that's really loud. <laughs> so, yes. Um, <laughs> First of all, I feel like Julianne should have asked me the question about Darren because I feel like Darren would be, like Neil said, super modest about what what God has allowed him to do. The only thing I will touch on is you had on your questions for me about a favourite Bible verse. And the verse that, that carries me a lot of the time is Proverbs um, 3, verses 5 and 6, which is trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. And so for me, like growing up, that's just been, that was like, I'm just the most indecisive person in the world, you know? (laughs) And that for me is as a family, the verse that I feel like we can cling on to, you know, when God asks us to go to America, like we pray about everything, you know, like when I say we pray about everything, something we didn't pray about last week. And I was like, we didn't even pray about that decision, you know? (laughs) try to pray about everything all these big things and I know now because I know that I don't have to make those big life decisions on my own you know the big things in our life that come up like are we going to go to America to do this are we moving our life family back to Ireland again like where are we going to send our kids to school like we can rely on God and ask him to help us for those things we don't need to rely on our understanding or on our own thoughts on these things because we know that he's going to direct our paths in it so I don't know, this may be a random thing to throw in, but I just felt like I was supposed to share that because I know a lot of the time we can carry this, like we have to make all these big life decisions by ourselves, but we don't have to make them by ourselves. We just need to trust in God and trust that he's going to direct our paths. You all right there? You stay as well. All right. Hey, 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 give me a little more of that, Glenn. I'm going to put you on the salary. Uh, Is that working? Mental. You know what? If it doesn't work, I'll just sing a song. 
really quite unstable, alright? Time for the fall, a time to be filled. Now you're bringing me the microphone again. We should we hear you. All right. Plug this back in. So yeah. Is anyone watching this on live stream? <laughs> I lost the plot. All right, we're good now. You can turn it down. Huh? This is a song I wrote years ago. It's a really simple one. Most people have never heard it, which is why I'm singing it. Life's messy, isn't it? You know? But with Jesus, every season, no matter where it's good or bad, we're a wee bit closer to home. This one's called Seasons. Well, there is time for the rise and time for the fall, a time to be filled and one to lose it all. Don't look back to what's gone. Let it be, leave it light. It's okay to move on when there's tears in your eyes. And seasons come, and seasons go, but every one of them's gonna pass you, and you're closer to home. And heartache comes, and heartache goes, and it don't make much sense, no, but heaven's pulling you close. Well, there is time to run and time to stall. You might feel everything or nothing at all. Yeah, the road might seem long and the end's hard to see, but I'll carry you. Come on, please carry me. And seasons come, and seasons go, but every one of them's gonna pass ye, yeah, and you're closer to home. And heartache comes, and heartache goes, and it don't make much sense, no, but heaven's pulling you close. Don't you quit on me now Don't you ever give in Oh, I know it ain't easy But what really is Don't you quit on me now Don't you ever give in And seasons come And seasons go but every one of them's gonna pass ye And you're closer to home And heartache comes And heartache goes And it don't make much sense, no But heaven's pulling you close So don't wish it away Well, it'll all pass too soon Walk slow, love well what else can you do? Do you want one? Yeah.
Hippo? Is there a Hippo there? Come on, where's that Hippo? Oh, I just grabbed there. Thanks, Eddie. Is that all right? Sorry. I know you didn't come for a concert. <laughs> and we weren't charging, so it's no good to me. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to lift the offer and again. <laughs> I didn't know what song to sing. You turn this off a bit for me, Glenn. This mic, yeah. Oh, believe it, yeah. Uh, but Heidi wanted me to do this one. I turned the guitar up a wee bit too, with it. <coughs> Sorry. I went over to Nick and Brian's today. My uh, cholesterol's a wee bit high, so I haven't eaten any bacon in three days. <laughs> I was deranged with anger this morning because I was just starving. <laughs> went to Nick and I, and I am stuffed today. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. <laughs> I don't often write worship songs, and, and honestly, Neil, Julian, because I don't count myself a worship leader. I think that's a mantle that's very heavy to carry. I just write songs for people about the goodness of God. But there's one song that I wrote, which somewhat of a worship song, I wrote it with a guy called Phil Wickham about two or three years ago. And I went over to the house, and I was talking to Phil, and he said, uh, how are you? And I said, well, I feel like absolute dumb. It was one of those days where you just loved one of those times where you loved your sin more than you love God. And I said to Phil, I said, I don't want to sing about Jesus. I don't want to talk about God. I said, I'm too dirty. And Phil said, he said, uh, that's exactly what we should do. We should sing about God. And I said, the only way we're going to do it is if I can write a song that is so simple. There's no metaphors. It's just the gospel. And we did. And uh, this one's called God You Are. And I'll leave it at this, all right? When I was young, you called my name. I tried to run, but still you came. And you stepped into the dark, cause that's just the kind of God you are. seems beyond my reach you still see eternity in me yeah you're turning ashes into art cause that's just the kind of God you are yeah. it's in the empty tomb it's on the rugged cross Your death-defying love Is written in your scars You'll never quit on me You'll always hold my heart Cause that's the kind of God you are You gave me freedom from my sin You told me I could start again All the hurt is dead and gone Now we're your daughters and your sons Amazing grace how sweet the sound We once were lost but now we're found Forever you hold us in your arms
rugged cross your death defying love is written in your scars you'll never quit on me you'll always hold my heart because that's the kind of That's just the kind of God you are. Well, thank you very much, Darren. It is, and Heidi, an absolute privilege and a joy to be with you here tonight. I have to say, it just reminds us of how exciting it is just to live for God. I have to say, I have a wee fire, and my fire has just went up a wee bit tonight. Just There's something about that rawness, isn't there? That, that too dirty to, to, to sing for Jesus. And how often we can feel with that tonight. And I, I said a few moments ago, I want to give an opportunity for one or two of you tonight. Perhaps you're here tonight, and, and, and maybe God's been speaking to you. There, there's a wee story in the Bible, and it talks about this woman who was caught in adultery. And these three or four righteous men, self-righteous men perhaps thought they would bring this woman and present her to Jesus because in the Old Testament this woman ought to be stoned to death you know and they were condemning this woman in her sin and you need to know this because perhaps some of you think that God has come to condemn you in your sin he hasn't he knows all about your sin he hasn't come to point the finger he's come to say listen I can take away that sin but these men presented this woman to Jesus and Jesus gets down and he, and he begins to draw a bit of a line and he says let the man here who has no sin Throw the first stone. <clears throat> and then we read that one by one they left. Because they realized in the presence of God that they themselves, self-righteous that they are, were as just a biggest sinner as that woman who was caught in adultery. You see? And Jesus says to that woman, 
I don't condemn you now. Go and sin no more. And that woman's life was was changed. Okay. But then come back to the Pharisees and they wanted to dispute with Jesus and they would not believe that he was who he said he was. They didn't believe that he had the power to save souls and they challenged and they questioned. And Jesus said something wonderful. And I want to leave this with you. He says this, I'm going away. He's speaking about the cross and his ascension to the glory. He says, and you will seek me. He says, but you will die in your sins and where I am going, you will not go. Now listen, where I am going, you will not go. And the key to that is this. There was a bundle of people who were so self-righteous that they were blinded about their own sin. Now, they were very good at seeing others. And perhaps some of you tonight can see other people's sin a wee bit easier than your own sin. But the Bible says we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And by you admitting that tonight, confessing that before God, not to no man, and you confess and receive Christ tonight, you too, like Darren and Heidi and so many people here tonight, can know the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus for yourself. You can have peace for your soul. You can have your sins forgiven. And you can begin that new life for Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to ask this, can we just bow our heads? We're going to pray. And if you'd like to be to pray for you tonight, perhaps God's been speaking to you. Perhaps your soul tonight's on, on, on easy. It's raging within you. You have no peace. Well, this is the moment you know God's speaking to you.